Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Next in Time podcast. I'm your host, ST. And today, for a change, we're not going to be focusing on interviewing startup founders or small business owners or anyone making an impact in those areas. We're going to be interviewing someone in the literary space. This is going to be our first episode in the field of literary, literary works. So for this interview, I'll be interviewing Julian David Stone, who is the author of the books No Cameras Allowed, It's Alive, and Justice Girl. And his recent book, It's Alive, is talks about the days leading up to the making of the movie Frankenstein in the 1930s. And Julian started off as a screenwriter and a photographer for 80s rock in San Francisco and is currently looking to make a world, sorry, making an impact in the world of historical fiction. So Julian, welcome to the show. How you doing? Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for coming. I'm glad you're like the first ever literary writer on this show. <laughs> Happy to have the honor. So, what is what's it about? What is it about being being a writer? Kind of like gets you excited in general. You know, it's it's such a great creative field. You know, particularly writing fiction and historical fiction. And originally, my background is a screenwriter. It's that you can write about anything you want and it doesn't cost anything. You know, it's just you can just sit down with a piece of paper and create worlds and just be imaginative and and go anywhere you want to go in your imagination. I think that's one of the reasons that I often tend to specialize in historical fiction is that it allows me to travel to a time and and research a time that I'm interested in, like the 1930s for my book, It's Alive. I, I'm very interested in that period of time in general, but especially in, in Hollywood and what was going on. Um, my other book, Justice Girl, you mentioned, takes place in the 1950s, and it's about the advent of television after World War II. So these are all periods that I'm very interested in, and this way you get to sort of live in them. It's it's exciting. So when, when have you published your recent book, um, It's Alive? Uh, the book came out about six months ago. So it's, it's still go ongoing. Like how how well has it oh, been doing? Oh, it's been doing very well, actually. The response has been fantastic. Um, you know, it's it, that's the most gratifying is how well it's gone over. You know, it's had it was an Amazon bestseller for for a couple of weeks after it first came out. And it continues to sell pretty well as we go into the Christmas season. And the best part has been the reception. Uh, you know, people who are fans of the Universal Monsters have enjoyed it, but also people that are just interested in Hollywood history in general, or just a, a good, fun read, uh, have all responded really strongly to it. Yeah, because I always love to read about historical, like historical stuff in general. Like I, I, have, a, I have a library of Kindle books, just like showcasing history of whatever happened in, let's say, the 1930s or even prior to that, or even just basically history. It kind of gets me exciting, excited because. The one thing about when you're, whenever you're trying to make an impact in the future, it's more about looking into the past and learning all, all, a lot from it, in a way. Oh, absolutely. As the expression goes is, uh, let's see, now, now I'm blanking on the expression after I brought it up, but it's basically the, uh, the only thing new is the history you don't know. Basically that, you know, anything in the future has happened in some form in the past, you know, that 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 there's so much to be learned just about human behavior it just repeats itself over and over again that if you look into the past you'll you'll understand what's happening now and what Got will it. happen in the future so in a way um let's just get to know more about you uh, julian so 
Yeah, since I've met you like a couple weeks ago at uh, Fan Expo, where we you know that's kind of how we kind of met and we got to know each other because you know I'm, it was the funny thing is I'm a huge fan of a lot of shows that a lot of actors who came to that uh, convention, particularly if you're familiar with the Cobra Kai series. If you oh, know. I, I, yeah, I I live basically right in the heart of the valley where that takes place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like in the in like San Fernando Valley. Yeah, oh, I'm right in the San Fernando Valley as you speak to me right yeah, now. Yeah, that was one of the, uh, I didn't watch the whole show, but that was one of the fun things about watching it. And my wife was a bigger fan of it. She talked about how much of, you know, our neighborhood it just keeps <laughs> popping up on the show. No, it was, it, was a, it, was, it was an honor to meet the actor William Zabka and Martin Cove. So that was a fun experience. And that's kind of how I met you. And you mentioned to me during our first meeting that you were a photographer for a lot of, uh, a lot of rock artists in the San Francisco area. Yeah, so I, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, which also, you know, good connection to your technology podcast here. Um, I, I have a lot of connections to the beginning of Silicon Valley. My family moving uh, to sort of give you the full story. I was born in New York. And in 1968, my father's company moved to Silicon Valley. He was general counsel for Fairchild Camera and Instrument, which was sort of considered the first company to sort of recognize that the future was going to be out in Silicon Valley. And so we moved in 1968. So I grew up in the Bay Area. And in the 1980s, as you mentioned, I started photographing rock concerts by smuggling my equipment into shows. Um, I used to hide it all over my body. And this is well before digital. So you're talking about <laughs> film, you know, rolls of film, and it was a whole different right. thing. Yeah, there's yeah. a thing, there was a thing called scrapbooks. <laughs> And right. picture and picture books before yeah. before we decided to take photos and like upload it on the cloud yeah exactly physical media so uh so i did that in the 1980s uh, as a as a precocious teenager and so what like what was the experience like being in san francisco during that time in the 80s you know it it, it was exciting because it, it besides being interested in the music like I said, my family was sort of involved with what was going on technologically. My mother in particular was an investor, an angel investor, you know, back then and, you know, put a lot of money into a lot of little startups back in the day. Again, right. going didn't, didn't know angel investing existed back in the, in you know, I, it may not be, there may be a technical definition of an angel investor, but I can tell you that, that my mom was investing in small companies because i i know very well you know when uh when they went public and all of that and that was going on in the in the 80s got it and so i mean like the like the uh you know the, the major ones like apple right i think that's when it just came out that's where the macintosh came out and everything oh yeah like a, absolutely she wasn't unfortunately involved with apple but it was other little companies that did various things that uh, she was very involved in you know i mean they he, the funny thing is if you ever recall like if, if you've ever seen forrest gump you know if you've seen that scene where uh he put it puts a lot of his money into apple and it becomes wealthy because of that yeah. if, you're, if you've seen that scene it's like okay maybe it's yeah. like is that really true that people put their money in apple in the 80s where it were struck were basically striking gold right at the current moment oh there's no question i mean anybody you know uh, a, a lot of companies back then, if you invested in Microsoft, you know, when they first went public, or if you were lucky to get in before the, you know, even that, you know, to be an early investor and get some, get some stock, uh, even people that worked there did very well. So, 
And so now let's uh, segue into this set and into the uh, meat of the interview, which in, which involves you being a writer. So you know you became a you you were a photographer for rock and roll bands, and then how was how did you manage to make the transition from that to being a fiction writer? Um, I had even as I was photographing concerts, my main interest was to be a filmmaker. So the even though the and and uh, as I said my photography career started as sort of smuggling in equipment, but I very quickly went professional. It's, you know, I tell the whole story of that in my book, No Cameras Allowed, how all of that happened. But my goal was always to be a filmmaker. So being a filmmaker, I was always involved in storytelling. So by the time I got to college, I studied film. I was fortunate enough to be able to break into the Hollywood film business as a screenwriter. And I had a nice run for about 15 years as a screenwriter. And I did a lot of writing in that venue. And then I eventually transitioned from that form of stellar storytelling to writing novels. So what, what were some of your biggest uh, like screenplays that you were written? Well, I, I was one of those people that was able to do well with a lot of stuff that was bought by studios but wasn't made. I had a couple of films that were made that kick around cable that are nobody would have heard of them, uh, but they're but they're out there and you can see them. And again, a lot of a lot of rewrites and and writing for studios that wasn't necessarily credited. It's a it's a very strange business, but you can you can do that. You can make a nice living as a screenwriter and unfortunately have almost nothing produced. Well, that's they say it's it's not very. I would say writing is. I think. Do you feel like screenwriting is is like okay the easy part, but then selling it is the hard part? <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um. Uh. Yeah. Except I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes comparatively, you're right. You know. Uh. I never think of any writing as being particularly easy. Um. Particularly if you're trying to be good. Uh, yeah. But I mean. It's Even, certainly a, it's certainly a it's a unique struggle getting the next step, getting somebody to to buy your work. No question. Got it. And so, what was your your big what was what was the catalyst that made you transition from screen screenwriting to writing a novel? It, it was it was around the time that I it, I got to my late thirties. Um, I got a little disenchanted of creating piles of paper that were going nowhere that were just ending up on the the shelf at a studio you know the the living making a living was nice but you know i i didn't get into it i mean i certainly want to make a living but i got in it to have people hear the stories that i wanted to tell so yeah. i found that by moving into novels it was a you know the writing all of the work was ending up in a form that somebody could read. When you when you write a screenplay, it's a blueprint for making a movie. So it's only seen by a very small group of people in the film production process. Writing a novel, you're creating something for somebody to enjoy. It, you know, it's it's a direct process. Yeah, the funny thing about reading it, reading a novel is that at least you can imagine the movie inside your head. Rather, instead, you know, instead of like you know writing a screenplay and then making sure you execute on it, that's you won't really imagine it that well unless you really read a read a novel in a way. That's why. Right. No, exactly. It's the making writing a screenplay. You know, so much is left out because there's so many other people that will, you know, a costumer will put the costume on them, and the art director will build, you know, the the set. So you don't have to give that much detail when you write a book you have to fill in the entire world because that's all the reader has is just what's on the page. And so um, 
tell me so in now out of the first i forget uh, when we i was gonna ask like which one was the first novel that you've written the the first novel was the strange birth short life and sudden death of justice girl which is the novel i wrote about the world of television in the 1950s what a lot of people have forgotten um television explodes right after world war ii yeah Uh, the 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 number i always love to tell people that in 1946 which is the first year after world war ii where production of non-war items starts to be made again because during the war the entire u.s economy was basically turned over to the production of you know war manufacturing so after world war ii ends in 1946 things begin to slowly convert back to consumer goods in 1946 there are six thousand televisions in the entire united states by 1951 just five years later there's 12 million that's how quickly television exploded after world war ii well in this same era there's no videotape the only television you can watch is live so everything you're watching on your tv is happening at that moment somewhere in a sound stage it was literally live you know everything was like the tonight show was all all live shows yeah because i remember like a lot of shows that were made a lot even sitcoms that came out in the 50s yeah they were they were they were they were never really filmed pre prior but they were actually shot on live location before they were you know went into they were just like shot live and then that's just basically what you saw on tv right and and so it was a very exciting world because you know you have all these productions going on live and if you make a mistake you can't go back and re-edit it you know that's just the way it is so it was a very exciting world and my first novel is about a writer during that period of time and how by accident he creates this character called justice girl that becomes an overnight sensation and it's about everything that he deals with 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 suddenly this very popular character and and all that that happens so that that was my first one so what was what was the inspiration for that story it it came from just being again a fan of that era you know i really am fascinated by that era of live television uh particularly in new it was when all of it was all sort of centered around new york city so that there was a real excitement to me of that era that i'd always been interested in i i sort of first discovered it because I grew up loving the TV show, The Twilight Zone, if you've seen right. that. Very, very it is not a 50s show, right? Right. It was a 50s show. Now, that one, 50s, early 60s, that one was filmed. That was a film show where they would make little, you know, basically half hour episodes that were filmed. And then they would they would run them on television. Well, the creator of that show, Rod Serling, before he created Twilight Zone, was one of the great writers of this era in the 1950s of live television. And so when I began to look into his early career, I discovered this whole world of of live TV and 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 just loved it. It was it just a very exciting time to have been alive. Yeah. And so now transitioning to your next novel, it's alive. What was I forget? That was more about that's about the film business of the 1930s. Um, it was about the monster films. The you know Universal Studios has this whole. Oh yeah, you had, you had you had Dracula, right? You had Dracula was the first one that was made, and then the follow up was Frankenstein, and then you know there's Wolfman, Bride of Frankenstein, The Mummy, Creature from the Black Lagoon. There was a whole series of films that Universal Studios made from pretty much 1931 to 1956, but they first started with Dracula and Frankenstein. So my book tells the story of the days leading up to the beginning of production on Frankenstein 
where everybody knows that Boris Karloff played the monster in Frankenstein. Well, the truth of it is, it kind of went down to a decision up until the last minute between him and Bela Lugosi, another famous star. And in the mix of all of that, Universal Studios at the time was being run by a 21-year-old, if you can believe that. <laughs> the entire studio was run by a kid, the son, <laughs> the, uh, the son of the person who had founded the studio. Uh, Carl Lemley Sr. had founded Universal Studios in 1915, and he put his son in charge in 1929, and his name was Junior Lemley. And yeah. I thought it was a fascinating character because here you have this incredibly young guy running the studio. Oh. And and I told my stories about those three characters and all of their interactions that go in. So in terms of that guy, in terms of that character, do you feel like because, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to make it sound so uh, off-putting, but I just want to say regarding that, regarding that person who ran universally was a young guy. But do you feel like it was basically because he was groomed by his father that helped him get into running that? Oh, no question. His father wanted him to, to take over the family business, but he wanted to do things very differently than what his father did. Hmm. So it's a, it's a great father-son story because Junior came in and Universal at the time in the 20s was kind of well known for making cheaper movies, a lot of Westerns, stuff that that didn't play for sophisticated audiences. Junior wanted to make different films, wanted to spend bigger budgets on splashier productions. And fortunately for all of us, one of them was uh, Frankenstein. And now coming into your your recent release, it's uh, No Cameras Allowed. Well, ac actually, It's Alive is the most recent. Oh, for, I forget, I forget. I'm getting mixed up with my number. No, so. no, no, no Cameras Allowed was was before that. And that's a that's a personal memoir of my adventures photographing concerts in the 1980s where I would sneak my equipment in. And that came about as, you know, this this will relate to technology, because after David Bowie and Prince died in 2016, I had posted some pictures on Facebook, you know, that I had taken. And all of a sudden I was inundated with people going, how do you have these photos? What's the story here? And that's when I decided, you know, I, I had this whole career in the 1980s of in this huge archive I'd built up of over 10,000 photos. So I thought maybe I should do something with it. And that's how that book was born out of that. So the nice thing with that book is it has all of my stories of being chased by roadies and security and being thrown out of shows, but it also has all the photos that I took then. So you get to see the, the, the pictures that I took. And these, th these three stories, they were written in a span of 10 years, right? Or yeah, pretty much 10 years. Exactly. And so what if what is your overall bit like your big goals for these books? Like, I mean, I know you're 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 doing well, you're selling them well, uh -huh. but do you have any particular way of like, sure. okay, you want to go you beyond know, that? Yeah, I mean, obviously the not the rock and roll book, but the other two, I'd certainly love it if they were made into films or TV series. I think I think they work well for that. But mostly it's for people to enjoy, you know, I've kind of achieved the goal. They're they're selling pretty well and people are enjoying them. They've they've been well received. So that's kind of the the goal. But no, I, I'd certainly love it to to live on in another form. Yeah. And so it's alive. So for usually when you're writing this kind of a book, like you know, when you're recounting, how long does it really take to plan the process and write the whole thing down? Because you know, I'm just we'll like to do a bit of a quick on less on how fiction writing works <laughs> yeah you know it it starts with sort of committing to it and then uh there's a when you do historical fiction there's a lot of research so that can take 
you know, that can go on for years if you want. Usually I find myself reaching a point where I'm like, okay, I need to stop the research. I need to start writing because I really enjoy the research. So at a certain point you have to say, okay, look, I, it's never going to end. I'm always going to find out something new about the film business in the 1930s, but at some point I have to stop and then sit down and write it. Once you get to the actual writing, that usually isn't too time consuming. That's usually just a couple of months. It's the preparation. It's the research, outlining all of that that takes takes a little bit longer. So usually, like, how long did it take for you to write "It's Alive" overall, well, from from conception well, all the way to publishing? Okay, conception to publishing went about eight years, but that's not a fair thing. In the middle of that, I did the rock and roll book because, like I said, I was kind of working on I was working on "It's Alive" and. An, another novel kind of going back and forth because I couldn't commit, but I was making progress on both. And then, like I said, when Bowie and Prince died and I posted those pictures on Facebook, everything I had been doing previously got put on hold and I concentrated on that book for a number of years. Then once that was done, I went back to It's Alive. Makes sense. And so where in the coming, like, where do you see yourself with this? So sorry, I think you've already said, I've already asked that question, but in terms of these types of stories, do you feel like there is a large audience in terms of like, okay, they want to purchase these kinds of books or something like that? Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, it's selling pretty well. And I think there's an interest in, in Hollywood in the thirties, particularly against this sort of backdrop of the technological changes, you know, sound coming in and it was an exciting time. It was really a very, very wild time in Hollywood. So I, I, I think there's definitely an audience and, and people are enjoying it. So do you do you want think you're going to be writing other books? Let's say what Hollywood happened in the '60s or '70s yeah. or '80s. Maybe that could be like a yeah. That could... I, I would love to. The uh, a lot of people have asked me for both of these books to do a sequel, but um, right now I'm I'm about halfway through the next novel. That after the holidays, I'm going to focus my attention on that, and so yeah. that that and that doesn't have to do with Hollywood. Well, tell me a brief. Do you have a brief summary of it? Sure. It's uh, it's a, it's going to be a novel that's about the Apollo space program. Ah, now this is now this is getting exciting. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be about uh, I'm, a, I'm a very big fan of the Apollo program. Uh, and so that's that's where it takes place. So usually when you put these kinds of stories, you have like a fictional character or is it an actual real character in these. Well, it, with historical fiction, I tend to sometimes create a fictional character against a backdrop that's real where they interact with you know famous people uh you know or well-known people with with it's alive the three main characters were all real people bella lugosi boris karloff and junior lemley with with my space book it's going to be some characters that are fictional mixed with characters who are are real okay and so what what do you feel your estimated time to publish that book could would be like in about a couple of years or so? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm hoping to have it written by the summer and then from there we'll see how fast it goes. All right. Sounds good. So I think we're going to wrap up this interview and I'm just going to ask some questions, some like some what I call the advice questions. Like what usually yeah. that would be like, you know, for writers out there, you know, the journey for writing is particularly difficult for a lot of them or even other. It could be easy, difficult or something like what advice would you give to them? Let's say when we're writing that, starting that journey. 
I, I would say write. You know, that that's the hardest part is the actual sitting down and writing. And the other advice, I used to lecture a lot, particularly when I was doing more screenwriting. I have a lot of friends who went into academia and I would talk to their classes. And the advice I used to give people with screenwriting, and I think it also applies to an extent to novels, is I knew a lot of people that were working on the same script for years. You can't do that. You have to write it, learn what you have, and then move on to the next one. That That's my opinion, that you can't have these, even though I just said, you know, this project took me a number of years, but that's because I was working on multiple projects and I got sidetracked in the middle. I believe that you need to give something the appropriate amount of time and then move, learn. I don't, I have never fully learned what worked and didn't work until I stopped working on a project and moved on to the next one. Then you can kind of look back and go, okay, all of that stuff worked, but you know what? I didn't do that right. So now I'm going to try to do it better next time. And one more, one last question is what is the difference in the way uh, in terms of the time to finish for a screen for a screenplay versus a novel? Uh, screenplay, you can write a lot quicker. <laughs> That's for sure. It's a lot less in, in terms of words. And like I said, in detail, you know, I, I used to produce a script pretty, you know, you, when I was doing studio assignments, you got 12 weeks. That's all you had. I mean, I, that, you, you know, you can write a novel in 12 weeks, but that takes me a little bit longer than that. So. All right. All right. Cool, Julian. Thank you so much for coming on the Next in Time podcast. And I'm looking forward to seeing how the Apollo space program becomes a big success and it's a big novel on it onto itself thank you thanks for having me on and yep from, from your mouth to god's ears let's hope so <laughs>